the most important service is Wednesday. It is, and we don't understand that. We don't seem to get it. This will sound dumb probably, but I, I thought I would never live to see the church building paid off. Yeah. And it is. It's paid off. I definitely thought I would never, ever see a paved parking lot, ever. And I thought also I would never, ever see Wednesday become important to people. Listen, listen to me. I don't even know if Pastor Jason's going to like this. If you can make one service, if your life is so whatever, and you can make one, make Wednesday and help us cry out to Almighty God. That's our only hope right now. For those people in Haiti, you want your hope in the government to get them back? You need to make it a priority. It's beyond waiting. It's beyond waiting. Make it. We are in need of rain from heaven. We are in need of a move of the Spirit of God. We probably have people sitting in our congregation probably really never experienced a move of the Spirit of God in the service where God takes over, where the Spirit of Almighty God, God the Holy Ghost comes down and wants to interrupt and say some things and move by His power where you tremble in your pews because the holiness of God has shown up. And we have seem to have slipped from that. And we need God to light the fire again. That has been my prayer all week. Lord, light it again because we know fire always goes out. It always needs attended. Always needs poked and prodded and lit and relit and wood thrown on it. And we tend to forget that. We don't understand where we are in this what we call church. Our country goes the way the church goes. And you can see the condition of our country, so you know the condition of the church. It's not good, and you're the church, and you and I do have the ability. Remember the plug that dangles from our side? If we plug that thing into God, truly into God, and the things of God, and the miraculous of God, people will notice. Maybe a, a God-forsaken little town forgotten Zanesville can be the epic center of a move of God from people who will say, you know what? I'm going. And you can expect snow to come on Wednesday in every excuse in the world. But I'm telling you what, if we plug in you won't have to be reminded. You'll be waiting for that day to come lock arms and cry out to God. Like you know and some of you have tasted. Okay. So here we go. Jeremiah 29, 11. Everybody knows this verse. But I don't think we understand it. We just don't understand it. I think when we think about God or going to see God or going to talk to, about, to, to God, it's like when the teacher comes in and says, the principal wants to see you. And you're going, what did I do? He never thinks he loves me. He's coming to see. He just wants to be with me. It's always what's going on. And Jeremiah 29 tells us, and we still don't believe it. This is what the Lord is saying to you, his church. He's not up here wanting to thump you. He says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Almighty Saul, so important he wanted down in ink and paper. So you, because if you're like me, I always feel condemned in front of God. Always falling short. I can't be the apple of his eye. I just can't be. Because we have our walk with God instead of it faith-based. It's more performance-based. And who can perform this in our flesh? No one can. So you always feel subpar, not worthy. Even though the Word of God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you an expected end. 
Why do we have a hard time believing this? God is saying that you are to take this by faith. This is how God thinks of you. The psalmist says in Psalms 139, 17, New King James, listen, how precious, how valuable, how costly is what that word means. Also your thoughts to me. The psalmist is saying, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Meaning, there's so many precious, wonderful, costly thoughts that you are thinking. In fact, he says, if there's so many, if I would count them, there would be more number than the sand. And I've seen many vacation pictures this year. And all your feet stuffed in the sand. God says, I have more blessed thoughts about you than the sand. Why can't you believe that? Why is it like the principal effect? Ooh, what did I do? I'm going to get it. And I think it's a trick of the enemy. It's an absolute trick of the enemy because when you can understand that God thinks towards you and he wants to bless you and he has great plans for you and not of evil, then verse 12 kicks in in Jeremiah and it says, then shall you call upon me. When you think of that, when you say, man, this God loves me, he wants me in his presence, then you will talk to God. Then you will want to. You'll want to enter into his presence. Then shall you call upon me, and you shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Verse 13 says, And you shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart, with all your emotions, with passion. Lord, Amen. I've got to be with you. I have to spend time with you. I must. And then verse 14 simply says, and I will be found of you, saith the Lord. God says, I'll find you. You'll find me. And it made me think of when my children were little. And if you have little children, have you ever played hide and seek with them in your house somewhere? When they're just little squirts running around? I would hide behind a closet door or the couch. Somewhere obvious. But they would look in all these weird places, under the sink, in the oven, looking, trying to find their father. And I would be excited, waiting for them to find me. I could barely wait. But they could never find me. It's just in their small ability to find their father. They just didn't have it inside of their head. And I'm just right there behind the couch. They would always look in weird places upright piano about this far from the wall. They're looking back there. Just like you and I when it comes to searching God. But they never really could find me. I would make some kind of weird noise because I couldn't stand it anymore waiting for them to give my position away or, or stick my blessed assurance outside of the, the couch so that they could see me. And then they would spot me right away. We'd hug and roll around and laugh. Listen, the point of my game of hide and seek wasn't the hiding, it was the finding. It's the way it is with your heavenly father. Me being full of evil, needing a savior. Play this game with my children, wanting to be find, found. I wasn't hiding from my children so that they couldn't find me. I was careful to hide so that they could find me. God's not hiding from you. He wants to be found of you. Now look, all through the ages, and even till now, there has always been folks who want more of God. All. All. And that would die out in me, and it would come back in me. And it would die out in me, and it would come back in me. More of God. And this is what the Lord, I've always felt, wanted for this church. The last thing God needs is another American church. Seriously. 
after years of decline, after the, the beautiful Garden of Eden and the decline and the sin and men getting worse and worse and worse, what happens in Genesis 4? It says men begin to call upon God. They see it worse and worse and worse. And all the various trivial things that they were in didn't matter anymore. That's the way we are. Oh, to lock arms with you would be awesome. David said, remember the psalm of David said, My soul followeth hard after thee. Remember years ago we made this a point. A valuable point to follow hard. Follow hard, what's that mean? It means closely, it means to overtake, to catch, to get a hold of God. It can be done. It's been done by mankind all down through the ages, sometimes only one, but it would start a fire. So it would. It would. But the truth is, Church in America is somewhat less than advertised. Do you ever read the advertisement? Yeah, I got one the other day from some food store, and I thought, well, I wonder if they got any meat on sale. Meat's through the roof. It's their advertisement. Did you ever read the advertisement? Did you ever read the book of Acts? Jeepers. Do you think that was just for them? Are you one of those people? Ruth 1.1, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. A certain man of Bethlehem, Judea, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, we're in a famine. And I've given you this throughout the years. Amos 8.11 says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land. Now listen carefully. Not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. Right now, there's a famine trying to prevent you from hearing the words of the Lord. In fact, the famine is so deep and the drought is so bad in some places, they don't even want to hear the word of the Lord anymore. A famine. From hearing the word. That's in America. It's worse than no water. It's worse than no food. This condition is describing is that being deaf to the words of the Lord Jesus. Being deaf to them. Can't hear them. You can't hear them. The outcome, a famine for bread. The sustenance the nourishment that we need to sustain our walk with God and to be beyond what God, what you think uh, God will use you with comes from the word, comes from the nourishment, sustenance, something that sticks to the ribs of the man of God. Now, when they built the tabernacle, the tent in the wilderness, and you would walk in to the right, there was a table of showbread. Remember that? If you studied that, the table of showbread, bread continually placed on this table. It was a type of Christ in the house of God, the tabernacle, the bread, the house. Always should be bread in the house of God, always. Numbers 4, 7 says, and upon the table of showbread, they shall spread a cloth of blue and put thereon the dishes and spoons and bowls and covers to cover withal, and the continual bread shall be thereon. Continual means without end. Now, who has that title? Christ and Christ alone. That table of showbread, as you enter into the house of God, is Christ. He's the bread of life that should be in the house of God. Continual bread. So that you can sustain your walk and complete your course and finish it for Almighty God instead of what you could have been. There's so many of them that could have been. 
John 6, 57 says, As the living Father has sent me, I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which comes down from heaven. Not as your father did eat the manna that came down. It was a type. The real bread that came down was Christ. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever, the Bible says. Live forever. So Christ is the bread of the house. It's also referred to as the bread of his presence. Man, where would we be without the presence of God here? We'd be just another Eagles, another VFW. Is it not the presence of God that makes the difference? So this word showbread also means face, where the face of God should be. The face of God should be. And it should become more and more lit up and stronger and stronger in the presence of the people of God as they call upon the presence of God. Lord, we beseech you. We don't want to go without you. But the house of bread or the church seems to only have some crumbs or lots of empty shelves. Lots of them. We are the, the bakery. We're the bakers. Priority has been lost in the modern church. It's just lost. It really is. It, it is. I think when sometimes when we think of church, you, you think of you're helping. Uh, maybe I can go help Pastor Jason and Joe out when I get a few moments or two. But we're talking about the work of God and what God wants to accomplish to, through this group of believers. What does God have you? What is God calling you? We're too preoccupied. Oh, we are. We're falling right in the trap of the enemy. We're like the frog in the slow boiling pot of water. We don't even know it. And I would say to my father, and I've told you before, I said, Dad, why would the Jews just walk to their death? Without some type of resistance. Claw their eyes out. Bite them. Something. Have you seen some of those old World War II films with Hitler and they run about 20 Jews out into a ditch and just stand there and shoot them. Why wouldn't you run at the guy? Something. We're doing the same thing. Man, we have the power just Amen. dangling. God has given us the ability to go into his throne room and say, God, we want those missionaries back. Instead of the way we do it. Here we go. Too preoccupied. You know, you, you are called the bearers. You bear the work of God. Presence of God on your shoulders. Remember? Tabernacle. So here goes Nehemiah 4.10. Judah said, you know what? The strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. Our strength is decayed. It is. And it tells us why. Because there's much rubbish. There's all kind of rubbish. So that they are not able to build a wall. We have a church to build. And I'm not talking about building. God has given us everything and then paid it off in my little lifetime. For what? Oh, my God, that we can start funneling all our resources for a move of God. There's no bread. Amen. Look at all the room in this bakery. 
Anybody got that sweet smell aroma of bread? So there's all this rubbish all over the place. Is there lots of rubbish in the American church? The work of rebuilding the wall was not only just a construction, but they had to clean and take away all the rubbish that was destroyed for a hundred years. You ever go by unkept homes, the yards, everything's just rubbish. And if you bought that place and you were going to redo it or flip it or live in it, whatever you would, first thing you would do would say, I've got to clean the rubbish. Get it out. And that's what happened here. The church has forgotten the, uh, the ruins of the walls are lying in waste for over 100 years, become a collecting point for all kinds of trash and rubbish. You let trash and rubbish hang around long, then you got all kind of animals and varmints and rats, and no one wants to go there. So clearing away the rubbish and trash is not an option. You know if you have the most prettiest house in Zanesville, yet you let it grow up and trash and stuff thrown and toys and diapers, everything in the yard, takes away from the glory that we're supposed to be experiencing. So the trash must go. It's not an option. The same thing in our Christian life. It's the, the, the exact same thing. Nothing can be built for the glory of God unless the rubbish is swept away. Nothing. In your life, my life, everybody's life. Taking out the garbage can be discouraging and laborious, but it needs done. It has to be done. Nehemiah 4.11 then goes on and says this. Listen to what happens. And our adversaries, the devil and Satan and all his crew and all those people that are used by the enemy, this is what they're saying to us as we attempt to have church and the trash and the rubbish and never clean it up and just have American church. The adversaries say they're not even going to know. They're not even going to see till we come in the midst of them and slay them and cause the work to cease. Amen. Oh, yeah. The enemy has you in his sights. And he's got a plan. And it's preoccupied. Oh, make them Johnny, Johnny, Sally, Sally, and Johnny, this and this and that and that and this and that and that. And they won't even see us when we walk into their life. Kill them. Stop the work of God. And you do not fulfill what God has redeemed you for. That's how many Americans... Oh, my goodness, how many of us are falling for that? So what happens? The world's tired of empty shells. I've tried that. I've been there. This pastor, that choir leader, this. Tired of pretending that we have bread. It's all hype and fluff. <clears throat> have you ever truly made homemade bread? Have you? As work. It's worth rolling and rolling and kneading and kneading and rolling and rising and killing and burning over and over and over and over. I remember my aunt doing it all the time. What do we do? We just go out to the store and buy a loaf of bread. No labor, no work, no cost. And it certainly doesn't taste the same. And it does not put that aroma in the house. And that's what, this is what we're settling for when it comes to God, when it comes to the Lord. So what's the world do then? Because you and I are supposed to be between the living and the dead. We're supposed to be pointing out the way. So what's the world do? They said, I've been there. I tried that. There's no bread. I'm going somewhere else to eat. And that's what happened. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, Bethlehem was a rich agricultural area. Listen, the name Bethlehem means house of bread. There's supposed to be an abundance 
of bread there. Instead of this guy seeking God for the sake of his family and children, they go move to a foreign country. Instead of him crying out to God, saying, we need bread. We need you to move now, Lord. Like here. So they go to a pagan land called Moab. It says the name of the man was Emelech. The name of his wife, Naomi. The name of his two sons, Malone and Kilion of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. Now listen, listen, the word sojourn. Listen, this is important because some of you do this. I'll be back, Pastor. I just need a second job for a little bit. Well, Billy's got football every Sunday now for just six weeks. That's all, just six weeks. That word sojourn means to leave with the intention to return. That's what it means. Bethlehem, Emelech had intentions to return. So in the next verse tells us the man was the Emelech and his intention of a short visit turned into 10 tragic field years. He dies. His boys die. And he was just going for a little bit. We're just going to go down there just for a little. It's just too hard here in Zanesville. Listen to this. The name Emelech means God is king. Oh my gosh, sure sounds like he didn't fulfill his calling. How many of you had children and you just said, I know my boy's going to be used. I just feel like God told me. I know my daughter's going to be something in God. God's going to use her. And then Moab gets them. Emelech means God is king. Are you kidding me? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to coach them for two months. That's it. <clears throat> you need to take Jennifer and Adam out for lunch and let them tell you about all the teens that they had ripe for a move of God in their lives and then Parents did this or that and pulled them out. and They can't get them back now. Take them out. <clears throat> so verse 3 tells us, Emelech, Naomi's husband, died. His little sojourn didn't work out too good. So she's left with her two sons. And then what do they do? They're living in a strange land where they're told never to go. They find a couple babes that look kind of nice, and they marry them which they were never supposed to do. All from a little, little sojourn. I'll be back, Pastor. They took them wives of the woman of Moab. The name of the one was Orpha and the name of the other Ruth, and they dwelled there, oh, another 10 years. Even though God commanded the Israelites not to marry among pagan nations, among non-believers, they did it anyway. So what happens? Malone and Kilion die also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. They're all dead. She's got three graves now in a place she was never supposed to be. In a foreign land that's not honoring God. What a mess. What a mess we get into, amen? We still are. The bread of Moab is deadly. Deadly. You are made by God to be fueled by the bread that comes from God. Other than that, it doesn't work. You've got a gasoline car, go out and buy diesel and throw it in. Mix water with your gas. If you don't want to pay so much, you're trying to get a little more gas, put water in it, put it in your car. Put some kerosene in that car. It's all fuel, it'll burn and it'll... Moab will rob you of your innocence. Look at our young people, totally robbed of the fun little times that they could play in a yard or something, whatever it is, being little cowboys. Oh, you can't do that. Totally robbed. They'll rob you of your youth. Our young people don't even have a chance to be little. 
don't even have a chance. They're sex symbols, even at six and eight and seven and through the clothing industry. They'll tear your family apart. The families, it's almost like a dinosaur now in our country, a family that has been brought up together, eats together, loves each other. So Moab is definitely de deadly. It will destroy the God call in your life, just like Amalek. God is king. Can you imagine? Think of it. How many, you got enough age. God is king. Oh, I'm going to raise my boy to serve God so much. He's going to love God. And then our country loses out because another person that was supposed to be used by God, whether it's in singing or preaching or something and serving or whatever, ends up sojourning somewhere he shouldn't, lost for 10 years, dies dead. Hit, dead, gone. Enemy's going, whew, that one's out of the way. He was going to be something, that guy. Dead. <clears throat> so the world starts searching, and they are. They're searching, and they're trying to eat all different kind of breads, the drinking and the partying and the sex before marriage, and now that wasn't good enough. They're doing the transgender stuff, and that ain't good enough. Let me go in your bathroom. You go in my bathroom. All sorts of drugs and opioids and all this different kind of stuff, deceived by money and power and fame, and they're dying. They're still dying. Could never forget that uh, Wednesday night study we did on rock music and movie stars, and they all died. Oh, if I could just be a star and walk that red carpet, and then three months later, ten years later, you find them overdosed dead. Thinking that that was bread, sustenance, sticks to my ribs. It'll make me something. If I could just be a star or like Mike. It's all dead poison. That's where we spend our time. We do. We do. We spend our time feeds our flesh. Listen, I'm not going, yeah, you. I'm going guilty. Guilty. I am. I told you, as long as I'm in this tent. So, here we are. We must get bread back in the house of God. We must. What will move the lost? What's going to move them? Some neat drama? Another Christmas program? Everybody does them. The out, what's that outdoor thing? What's that called? Yeah, the outdoor, whatever it's called, drama has been going on as long as I've lived here. Living Word. I'm not saying it's horrible, but we got them. Man can put some stuff on. It's going to take a group of people. Going to push all that trash and rubbish aside. So this one thing I'm going to do, I'm going to get a hold of God. Before you face God. We got all that. What's going to move them? Ruth 1.6, here she is, there's Naomi, no husband, two dead sons, all these funerals, left alone. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. I'm going to leave this place. Why? She's been here at least probably 10, 20 years, probably got a nice home, little garden in the back, knows her neighbors. She said this. For she had heard in the country of Moab while she was still there how the Lord had visited his people and giving them bread. She's hearing. No internet. No TV. She's in Moab, a pagan country, and she's starting to hear. There's bread in the house of God. What? What are you talking about? God's moving. And Naomi says, pack it up. We're going back. Because a stirring and a moving and the news was coming. What do you think our nation is so hungry for, whether they even know it or not? It's for a real move of God. We had enough fakes and phonies. A real move. They're going to say, what? what? Where's that at? What, what's going on? What time service? That's what happens here. When this happens, news will spread. 
People are going to start saying, God's here. And they're going to go, what? God's in that place, I'm telling you. You live right across the street from them. Are you crazy? They have bread. And there's truly nothing like the aroma of bread. I mean, it's, it's just an awesome aroma that just draws you to it. They will pour through these doors after smelling the fragrance of fresh bread. They will come. They will be drawn. They will. I remember listening to revival tapes years and years ago, and a pre preacher saying, I don't know, they all came. I don't know how they heard how they got here, but they all showed up. It was the aroma of bread that drew them. And it comes from those who bake, those who need, those who say, sorry, I'll meet you Wednesday. Those who start to roll it out again and over it, knead it and bake it. The harvest is what? And the laborers are... And it's not happening now because I just jump in my store, run down to Dollar General, take a loaf of bread. Oh, I'll tell you what, I'm really, a few more bucks, I'll take that thick loaf of bread, that thick slices. And, and I open them, and I like them, and I'll make sandwiches out of them, but I never, it doesn't fill my house. Nah, it doesn't, doesn't have it. It doesn't have the kick. No juice to it. So Satan's ploy has truly been able uh, to keep us full of junk food. Junk food, little thrills and spills for 10, 15 minutes, and then it goes away, and then you're hungry again. And it's worked. It's worked. Because when I was talking about earlier in the beginning, when I was standing over there, I was like, oh, are you kidding? This again? Matthew says this, blessed are they which do hunger. If you don't hunger... Be honest, if you don't hunger for what I'm talking about, alter time, come down here and say, God, I don't know what's marathon. I don't even hunger for you. Say, God, you've got to give me a hunger. Give me a hunger for you, God. Give me a hunger for you. Remember, he's not going to be hiding that you can't find him. So we must pray. We just have to. You have to pray for spirit, spiritual violence to come upon you, meaning nothing will stop you. Everything in the world's going to try to stop you from praying. Everything. You have to grab that sword and you have to swing, beat your way just to come and pray on Wednesday. You'll be exhausted and to clean your sword off just to get there. Because the enemy is going to say, oh, no, 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 Amalek. No, no, no. You ain't. No, no, no. You're not going to get turned on to this. I will do everything and anything to keep you. Remember? Remember we've gone from blue laws. Remember blue, who's old enough to know what blue laws are? Remember? Nothing happened on Sunday. That was the Lord's Day. I remember that. I do. And I remember in PA... If you needed gas, you had to go to the turnpike because that was the only gas stations that were open were still on the turnpike. Everything, everything shut down to honor Sunday. Here we are now. Speed up just in my lifetime. If there's a ball game, it's Wednesday. If there's another ball game, it's Sunday. If it's a soccer match, you can be 0 and 50. You're in the tournament. By the way, it's on Wednesday. I, I know, I, I know I might be bugging you, but I'm trying to, don't you understand the trap? Emelech, you're supposed to be used by God, awesomely used by God, and you've fallen for it. We have fallen for it. We think this is life now. This is our life. So we need to pray for that spiritual violence that will grip our hearts again, 
that will light that fire again, that will, Jesus will turn us into warriors, warriors again. You know, I have that vid angel that takes all the cussing out and can take all the bad scenes out and all that kind of stuff. And my grandsons are old enough now, and I'm saying, dudes, you need to see Black Hawk Down. I said, it's a true story. It's an absolutely true story back in the 90s, Somalia, Americans. And so it, a lot of bleeping we didn't hear, it just took a lot out. But I wanted them to see. And when all odds were against them, and them guys barely made it back, and half of their bodies are blown away, they reloaded to go back out in there. I'm sitting there going, would I be able to do that, God? After barely coming back, would I be able to reload and go right back? And then I thought of the scripture, what? Men having hazarded their lives for the cause of Christ. Where are those? Come on, where are they're here. That's why God, that's why you're here for such a time as this. So we have to pray that we'll uh, not stop until we break through the heavens. We've stopped so many times. We've stopped. And man, I tell you, when you stop, it's so hard to start. So we have to pray until there's just at least a crack in the heavenlies. Until heaven opens up some and God starts to let some rain come down. We have to get tired of just digging on our hands and knees through the carpets. And I told you before, I mean, I read tons of old books, so I wanted to teach myself and learn. And now I almost don't want to go and read them anymore. Because I get so fed up with how I am. And that's another trick to get you to quit, to hang your harp up, to not make the effort. Oh, I can't drive in the dark. Uh. So you have to start crying out and say, God, you got to show us your glory. Show us, God. Open up the heavens again. Crack the skies again. Thunder from heaven again, God. Shake us to our foundations. Instead of just marching like the poor Jews. And then he just picks them up. Ping, ping, ping. To the score of six million of them. Exodus 33 simply says this. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this. God's no respecter of persons. That's what the Bible tells us. I will do this thing also that you have spoken. For thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. God knows you by name, and you have found grace. You're here, in your right mind, saved. And he said, I beseech thee, Moses says, I beseech thee, show us your glory. You know that word beseech means... It doesn't mean, God, when you, if you got time, if you don't mind. It doesn't mean that at all. It means beg and implore and crave. You beg mildly. Please, please, I could use some help. Please. How would you beg? Or maybe some of you are like, well, I'll never beg. Ooh. Ooh. Remember I told you years ago, my church changes so much. We were in this huge collision with 17 different cars and 18 semis. I forget how. It was bad somewhere, taking the kids to some dumb thing. And I am pretty laid back. I am. Most of you know me. You know that's true. And we were first car that didn't crash in a borrowed car. And I flung that door open. Running down interstate, what's the interstate that goes north to Finley or whatever that is up there? Whatever that thing was, I'm running down the interstate, screaming, stop! I didn't go, you know, that's not me. While I'm doing it, 
those in the wreck have gotten out. They're walking in the midst of all the busted up cars and the smoke and more trucks are barreling down. Don't know what's um, screaming. Stop! Remember the disciples, when you get pumped for God, what did they say? Shh, man, quiet down. I can't pray because you're too loud. We were told that, were we not? In pastor's prayer meetings. I'm like, what? I'm trying to hook arms with you. Trying to cry out not only for my own lazy, wet soul, but also our nation. And you're telling me to hush up? Quiet? So verse 19 says, he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. I think we just heard this, I think, last week. Pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to you, whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Remember that scripture? We just heard it, I think, from Pastor Jason. Remember what God was saying? He's got, I said, I, I, I'll show you. I'm going to tell you, kids. Here I am. I'm over here. And you're going to see his hinder parts, just like I would do with my children when I was playing that silly little game, wanting them to find their father. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. David again said, We've got to follow hard. Hard. You've got to do this hard. If I don't do it hard, I'd end up not doing it. Even when it comes to praying. And I know I don't have to. to you can, I understand all that, but if I don't control every nerve and emotion... I don't get into God. If I'm in a prayer meeting and you're sitting at a table and you just drop a pen, I hear it. How can I hear it if I'm concentrating on Almighty? If I'm begging God for the souls of those who've been kidnapped. Elisha was persistent. And he says, as the Lord thy God liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. Elisha says, you know what? If you're going to do this thing, I'm not going to be caught napping. No, 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 no. I am going to be seeking Almighty God. I know you love your kids, and I know sport. I love sports and all that kind of stuff. Do not let it get in the way. Don't. Go tell the coach. Sorry. You have a Thursday, I'll be there. You have a Tuesday, I'll be there. You have a Monday, I'll be there. Where are you going to be Wednesday? We're going to be praying. The other scripture we have. Remember, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, it does. It suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. If you were one of those 17, how would you want us to pray. I don't know how many of them are women. James 4.8 says, all you got to do is draw nigh to God. And what do you think God will do? He'll draw nigh to you. He'll draw nigh to us. You don't care what you think or what you feel. I'm telling you what the Word of God says. We are encouraged over and over and over to come to God, to pursue Him. We are over and over. And He says, and it shall come to pass, while my glory pass by, that I will put thee in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover thee with my hand, and I will take away my hand, thou shalt see my back parts, but not my face yet. I'm fine with that. I'm saying, oh God, let us. And can you imagine the... The aroma of that prayer meeting. Let's stand, please.
Almighty God told Moses after he beseeched him and begged him and cried out to him. And remember when I told you the de decline of society, and it says out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, the Bible says, and men began to call upon. Go look up that word call. See if it means a moment of silence. It doesn't. It means crying out to God, desperate for God. God, we've got to have a move. We've got to have a move, God. This is what our nation needs. And you do. You have that same thing inside of me sometimes. I won't even look at the news anymore. I've gone from watching it like crazy to just doing five minutes. Seriously, just I wanted the five minutes of Tucker. No, I don't. Then I found Bill O'Reilly on some Pluto something or whatever. It is. Just five minutes of him. No, I don't. I, don't. I can't stand it. I don't want it anymore. This is what our nation needs, men to start calling on the name of the Lord, asking today, this altar call, tell God, Lord, I'm as cold as cold can be. Light a fire again in me, Lord. Light a fire. I don't care how wet you are. You remember the story? Throw more water on it. Throw more water. Throw more water. He came down, 60-some word prayer, fire fell. Sucked up the water, took the offering, brick stones, and everything. That's what God will do if he finds a heart. If you come down and say, God, I've been so wet for so long. Light a fire again, God. Ask Almighty God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. Fill you. God, fill me to overflowing. Young folks, wake up. The world has you at its beckoning call. Don't even know right from wrong anymore unless your mom and dad are telling you. Oh, dear gosh. You've got to have God the Holy Ghost going off inside of you so you can discern even how to live. Our altar call is very serious. They all are, but we do it so often that it doesn't seem to make much importance to us. We're going to play some Music for the screens, so even the band. We need the band to be so anointed, so touched of God, that as soon as they plink the first chord, we're going up in the heavenlies. Just simply because of the anointing. I don't care if they make mistakes. All we need is that anointing, God. We've got to have that. So Mike's going to get the first song ready.